0: Hi, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you've tuned in to this Capital Link webinar, which is part of the third annual Capital Link Decarbonisation in Shipping Forum. I'm Michelle VC Bockman, senior analyst with Lloyd's List Intelligence, and I'll be your moderator for this panel, which will be examining carbon reduction, capture, and offset. There are high hopes that onboard caption car, car onboard caption ca- Carbon capture and storage technology can be scaled up for commercial use by the global fleet as the hard to abate industry struggles to find different solutions to meet greenhouse gas emission reduction targets. Likewise, the use of voluntary carbon offsets is gaining traction while the role of shipping and transporting captured carbon is taking shape. So I have here with me to add some clarity and update on the subject four experts in their field who will be your panellists today. So first up, we have Panos Kuntziakos, Vice President, Global Sustainability, ABS. Panos Panos leads the ABS Global Sustainability Centers of Excellence, the Global Gas Solutions Team, and the Digital Sustainability Team. Welcome, Panos. Next, we have Dr. Konstantinos kiriakou co-founder and CEO of Deep Sea Technologies. Konstantinos is a Greek entrepreneur and his six-year-old startup is developing artificial intelligence solutions for the maritime industry. So welcome Konstantinos.
1: Good to be here, Michelle.
0: And to add to the confusion, we have another Konstantinos, Konstantinos Stamadakis, the co-founder and CEO of Irma First. With a process engineering background, Konstantinos is heavily involved in the development of marine equipment, which can provide us solutions to maritime environmental challenges. And to our last guest, Halki Kite Pau, Senior Vice President Managing Decarbonization at MarSoft. Halki is a Senior Analyst for Liquid Gas Shipping. and focuses on the liquefied natural gas and the liquefied petroleum gas tanker markets and trades. So welcome, gentlemen. Hello. So I'll say at the outset that if you're listening to this webinar, can you please send in your Q&As? We have um, prepared there and we'll endeavour to get through them as we go through the panel. So. I'll start off by asking, what is carbon reduction? How are we using carbon capture and storage and offset and the role that it's taking in shipping? And I might start off with Constantinus Stepindakis. If you could just give us, run through briefly the details of this technology, and then I'll go to Hauke to talk about voluntary carbon credits and how widespread they're being used at the moment.
2: Thank you very much, Michelle. Uh, good afternoon to everyone or good morning and good evening from wherever you listen uh, to this uh, podcast. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank you for setting up uh, such a nice panel and for the interesting uh, questions. Uh, Without any, any further delay, uh, let me give you, um, you know, a brief um, description of what a carbon capture is. And I will focus mainly on the post-combustion because this is what we are doing as ERMA First Group. Um, so what this is, uh, we burn fuel and we produce carbon. Um, so we need to do something to capture this carbon. So the steps of the, of the technology available so far, which is a mature technology uh, in, in the shore uh, um, industry, uh, it's the following, um, based on the actual CO2 reduction uh, factor that each vessel uh, has, um, the capture rate is determined. Based on this, a portion of the exhaust gas is redirected from the vessel's funnel into the carbon capture technology. The first step of this carbon capture technology consists of uh, an exhaust gas pretreatment where the temperature is adjusted, SOx is removed, um, uh, nitrogen oxides uh, are removed, and particular matters are removed. The second stage of of this plan is the actual carbon capture, where actually the the pretreated exhaust gas is entering either a column or another device where an aqua solution of chemicals, mainly amine-based, is injected. This solution, actually what it does, it attracts and it it captures uh, the carbon. Therefore, the exhaust gas free of carbon uh, is released uh, into the atmosphere or back to the funnel of the the vessel, while the solution which consists of water, amines, and the CO2 uh, is directed into another state where we separate those three substances in order to reuse water and the chemicals, and then to either compress the CO2 and store it on board as a gas, because that requires um, too much uh, of, of, of space and volume. Or we carry on by compressing it and cool it down in order to liquefy it, and we store it as a liquid on board the vessel. So at a glance, this is uh, today's uh, carbon capture technology, which is applied widely uh, onshore and eventually will be applied on board vessels when the technology will be marinized and mature enough.
0: Thank you. Now, I understand the technology is about five years away from being um, used commercially, and which we'll talk about later, but I'll just go to Hauke now to talk about voluntary carbon credits and their use and how widespread they are at the moment.
3: Thank you, Michelle, and welcome, everyone. Carbon credits, voluntary carbon credits, are a mechanism by which ship owners can uh, get some uh, revenue, some income for investments that they make to reduce carbon emissions that go beyond normal operating practice. And it's important to realize this is different from the regulated carbon markets like the European ETS. Uh, This is a market in which individuals and corporations voluntarily buy offset credits in order to offset emissions that they cannot avoid themselves, like air travelers, uh, for instance. The funds from that uh, purchase of those credits can go to ship owners to help offset the cost of investments in making their ships more fuel efficient. And there's a lot that can be done today to do that uh, while we wait for carbon capture and other zero carbon fuel technologies to mature. Uh, and this is something that uh, Marsoft has been working on very hard for the last several years, and we're working now with a number of owners to make informed decisions about retrofitting older ships, making new buildings more fuel efficient, and taking advantage of that incremental revenue from carbon credits, to help uh, make those investments viable.
0: Now, of course, as somebody who sat in at the Marine Environment Protection Committee at the International Maritime Organization last week, it's quite obvious that there are more stringent targets coming and that the commercial viability of these zero emission fuels is yet to be fully established. Hence the, the role for these technologies, especially with onboard carbon capture, um, what sort of role do you think it will have in the shipping decarbonization voyage? If I throw this question over to you, Panos.
4: Yeah, thank you, Michelle. Um, yeah, th- this technology is going to be uh, in high demand, what we say. And uh, the demand will come only for, for the existing fleet. Uh, the existing fleet in order to comply with the future regulations uh, and the current regulations that need to to, let's say, to reduce the emissions. Uh, among the technologies, uh, carbon capturing it seems to be a viable solution for that one. Um, there are several technologies that are pre combustion, uh, poor combustion, oxide technology. Um, I would say the post combustion, like uh, Constantinus mentioned previously, is one of the most mature technologies. It's something that tested in the past uh, onshore. There are many, let's say, heavy meters onshore that they're using carbon capturing technologies. And now we're transferring. This technology on board the ships, uh, of course, is a different environment, uh, but we're working on this direction. There are uh, several um, companies that are developing the systems and there are pilot systems on this one. So uh, back to your question, yeah, it's going to be very important, but still with the carbon capturing, uh, we're facing the same challenges uh, as the alternative fuels, and the challenges is coming to the infrastructure and the downstream. So that means the technology, uh, we are quite confident uh, that it's going to work properly. Uh, on the other hand, um, we need to work on uh, the infrastructure development and how to offload uh, the captured carbon from the ships. This is something that we need also to develop.
0: So, how much carbon would be maximum um, stored on a vessel before it has to be discharged? Because this is the problem there's no infrastructure for the carbon to go uh, go offshore, which will affect the voyage trajectory and the types of ships that can take this technology?
4: Yeah, Um, it it depends. Um, You know, it depends on the profile of the ship. What I want to say for for the existing fleet, if we have a vessel that is, let's say, for instance, 15 years old, and uh, the owner is planning for another 10 years uh, lifetime of this vessel, uh, so we have to assess, we have to estimate what is the required uh, um, amount of carbon to be captured in order to comply with the regulations. So in some cases might be uh, 20%, 30%, or even 50%, but uh, we wouldn't expect to go up to 100% for uh, uh, the captured carbon.
0: Okay. Now I'm going to move to you, Constantinus K. Um, one of the measurements of carbon so far and greenhouse gas emissions generally has been tanked to weight. That is from the fuel once it gets on board the ship through to combustion. But the new regulations that are coming in, certainly from being at the IMO last week, is that we're now having well-to-wake measurements of emissions. So how does that add complexities to the the carbon offset and carbon capture picture?
1: Hmm. Um, So first of all, I mean, I would say that tank to weight is not solved um i mean right now um the standard for reporting um co2 is self-reported daily vessel reports of how much fuel they consumed um which is then multiplied by a factor which seeks to estimate the carbon content of the fuel type um i think it's it's well known within the um um, the industry that these reports are generally not very accurate, even when there's, you know, the, the crew is honestly trying to report the fuel that's consumed, it's very difficult to estimate that accurately. A daily total is not representative of exactly what's happened over the day. Uh, and, uh, and then um, there are a number of reasons uh, why there are various perverse incentives to not report it accurately. Now, well, when you add in a well to wake, um, you're you're essentially distorting the picture you know even more because um, uh, a, a much larger number of uh, entities are involved in reporting um, and uh, and in with with everything that goes into ships where there's always a lot of uncertainty about uh, uh, about, uh, about where the the fuels come from and and, and so on, the, the calculation becomes even, even more complicated. So I actually think that if you wanna do something, if you wanna do carbon accounting and shipping, there's a lot of work that needs to be done um, in terms of incorporating uh, sensors, um, you know, high frequency data, accurate data, uh, reporting mechanisms uh, uh, before you can you know, um, trust any of the numbers that come out. We're, we're very behind on this.
0: Yes, sometimes the the calculations tank to weight, to well to weight can impact the economic feasibility of some of these carbon reduction technologies. I know that that's something probably that Hauke's been um, working on. I've just got some questions here from the audience. Um, The first one is probably, you can address this Hauke at the same time, is it not an issue in general to store the carbon? Can you explain this further? Also, which methods of carbon capture cost less and are most compatible with ships?
3: Okay. Well, sure. Sure. Yeah, I think on that last point, uh, Constantinos can probably answer better than sure. I. But, but just quickly, um, I agree with uh, what uh, Constantinos K said about uh, well-to-wake. It's it's complicated but it's ultimately the only meaningful measure. And so we have to grapple with those complications uh, somehow. And anytime you simply reduce consumption of fuel, which you can do by investing in energy efficiency technologies today, you are by definition reducing well-to-wake emissions across the board. in CCS, the S is very, very important. Uh, what what gets done with that carbon after it leaves the ship is critically important. And so, um, uh, but I'll let Constantino speak more to the technical options there.
0: Yes, Constantinos S. Yep.
2: Yeah, thank you. Uh, yep. Yeah, thanks for this uh, question. Um, definitely storing the carbon on board is as challenging as uh, you know capturing the carbon. Um, actually. There is a, a sweet spot, and this is about uh, you know physics and thermodynamics between temperature and pressure, and this is about you know twenty five uh, twenty to, I would say seventeen to twenty bars pressure minus twenty to twenty five Celsius, where CO two is liquid with a density equal to uh, water, so equal to one, which is the most efficient, let's say. Um, uh, form of CO2 in order to store it on board. Definitely when you calculate, you know, we've we, done we several feasibility studies, one of which one which comes into my mind now. It's it's a medium sized vessel, which consumes about 25 tons of uh, uh, heavy fuel oil per day and has a ballast. voyage uh, And it has uh, voyages of um, 17, uh, 15 to 17 days. Uh, we have calculated that we need uh, storage capacity of, um, of 400 tons uh, of CO2 at the capture rate of 22%, 22 to 25%. Definitely there's a challenge. It is one of the many challenges that uh, you know, the industry should solve because you know, onshore, space is not an issue while on board is one of the biggest issues. But definitely so far, there are solutions as long as locations where we can store one or two uh, CO2 tanks, and we have seen already some vessels equipped with such kind of uh, cryogenic tanks uh, for storing uh, CO2 on board. And also, uh, we have seen designs of CO2 carriers, which proves that the technology is already there. And when it comes to the last part, um, cost uh, less and most compatible with ships, that depends. Um means or a mean-based solution looks the most promising and viable technology for deep-sea-going vessels, while you know um, uh, carbon um, or uh, I would say asbestos or how uh, what they call it calcium oxide technologies are more suitable for uh row row vessels and passenger vessels.
0: Thank you for explaining that. Another question we have, it relates to capital expenditure for onboard caption carbon and storage, which is between 40 and 70% of new building costs. I've actually seen numbers of 40%. I haven't seen a 70% figure, but still quite substantial. That tends to um, indicate that the economic feasibility of onboard captioned carbon and, and storage is, is under question. Um, what what's the panel's views on whether or not it it can be um, a viable alternative um, once it's commercially available in about five years time? Who would like to take that question? Panels.
4: Yeah. Um... Yeah, I'm thinking. Oh, of course, I think uh, maybe the is here, Costadinos from Emmerfest, because they're developing the technology. But uh, I, I wouldn't expect to be so expensive, uh, in my view. And definitely, um, we, we have to to define and we have to understand where we're going to use this technology. As as I mentioned initially, we we're speaking mainly for retrofits at this point, at this phase. And you know, we have to compare with other technologies. Are available for the same savings, for the same carbon reduction. So we have to compare uh, with uh, alternative fuels technologies. Uh, we know that, uh, let's say, uh, retrofitting a vessel either with, um, you know, LNG or other type of alternative fuels might be very expensive. Um, so also from few feasibility studies that we have done, uh, it seems that uh, yeah, using uh, carbon capturing technology that requires. Uh, Additional energy to be consumed on Mm. board the vessel. So we have to to be careful when we're estimating uh, the net energy profit, let's say, for this technology in order to capture uh, the the carbon. Uh, But um, it seems that uh, there is a viability. There is going to be a viable solution. Uh, There is some work, some extra homework to do for that, but it seems. But maybe Costadinos, maybe you can add more on this. Yeah. Sure,
2: sure. Uh, l- let me add to this. First of all, I agree with Panos, you know, this um, 40 to 70%, uh, its it sounds rather high. Uh, from our calculations, we don't expect something, you know, less than 5 to 10% of uh, annual building cost. Uh, and we've seen based on um, 100 uh, euros per ton uh, um, CO2 cost in the EU ETS, mm. um, that there is a return of investment within, you know, five uh, to seven years. So, from commercial perspective, uh, carbon capture is viable. From technical perspective, we have many steps
3: to to to, to go through.
0: So the, I should, now, if,
3: yeah. if I may, just quickly uh, put that into context. So mm-hmm. I, I think ultimately, with carbon capture, you can achieve higher rates of emission reductions than with shall we say, currently available retrofits like premium coatings, wake flow improvement devices, engine optimization, and so on. But the cost there is also lower. Uh, By our estimates, um, you can reduce emissions on a ship uh, significantly, certainly up to 15%, maybe better, with those currently available technologies at a cost of $20 to $50 uh, per tonne. And so I think that is, that is certainly a step we encourage owners to take while they wait for things like CCS to become mature.
0: So I've got a study here from the Merce McKinney Muller Center for Zero Carbon Shipping, which reviewed two applications. And that study concluded that a larger new building vessel was best suited for, with abatement costs of between 180 and 260 tons, uh, dollars per tonne of part of co2 for very large crude carriers on a tank to weight basis and then that cost rose to 220 to 290 dollars per tonne for a different type of well-to-weight calculation does that add to your calculations about viability in the future Hauke?
3: Yeah, I, I am not familiar with that study. I'll have to take a look at it. Um, the, the abatement cost for all these uh, processes rises as you increase the rate at which you're trying to abate. So it's relatively low for the first 10%, and as you push toward 100%, it rises sharply. So it's important to look at those numbers carefully and see exactly what... Uh, Point in the curve they're looking at.
0: Can I ask Co- Costas K um, your views on on this and the 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 scalability on those figures?
1: Um, I mean, I'm not really an expert on the economics of carbon capture. Uh, I think maybe that's a, again a, a question for the other constantinos so. I, I apologize. Yeah. But, well, vessel optimization. But I, in terms of, um, uh, so so in, in terms of vessel optimization, I think what what I'll, I'll kind of say again is this. I think it's 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 very good that we're that you know the industry is making these long term plans, both both in terms of of uh, carbon capture and in terms of reduction technologies, retrofits, uh, wakes and so. on. The main issue I see is that at the moment we lack a. Good framework for measuring what's actually happening uh, on board the vessel um, and, and more broadly. And, and the result um, is that uh, decisions are being taken uh, inefficiently and actually evaluating the outcomes of these decisions is, is, often, um, uh, is often difficult. So I'll give you an example of, of a case study we did with a, with a major charger. They spent several million installing wake equalizing data. On, on a couple of vessels. And they had a, a study um, which showed that these reduced uh, fuel consumption by, by a certain percentage. Um, and uh, they had already done it. And they asked us to um, use the data that we were collecting from the vessel before and after the installation uh, in order to um, cut, to quantify exactly what the savings could be. Now, what we found is that what this duct did is it took the power speed curve of the vessel um, and it kind of shifted it like this. And the result is that there were some speeds uh, where the um, fuel consumption was increased and some where it was decreased. Um, and uh, it turns out that the operating profile of the particular vessel was actually almost exclusively at the speeds where the fuel consumption was increased. And so this, this investment actually resulted in the carbon efficiency of the vessel decreasing um, for, for most of its life. Um, so uh, I, I think every vessel is different. Um, every vessel's operation is different. And um, what what we look into at Sea is helping owners um, actually optimize the operation of the vessel day to day and the actual individual decisions. And I think um, this needs to be uh, taken into account and it needs to be in place before you start spending huge amounts of money on any kind of uh, new technology. Um, and, and so there definitely needs to be a combination of kind of digitalization uh, with these other interventions. I know, for example, that Irma First uh, has invested quite a lot in digitalization technology as well. and So so I think that's the the right approach. Do the long-term thing, but also invest in the the data infrastructure to be able to understand what you're doing.
0: Well, this might lead on to another question we've got from the panel, which is, to what degree will emissions data need to be shared throughout the value chain in order to satisfy well-to-weight reporting requirements? Who's
1: gonna put their hand up for that one? I can take that yeah. uh, Very, very important. Um, in my view, uh, what you really need is you actually need to measure the CO2 directly, right? I mean, if, if you're not doing that, then um, um, you're opening up all sorts of holes in, in your measurement of the, of the tank-to-wake part, right? I mean, well-to-wake, again, I'm not an expert in, um, I know there's there's all sorts of assumptions you can make, but again, because that those are are one-off things, right? So like once you've once you've bought whatever it is, it is what it is. I think you're maybe a bit safer in using an assumption. But in terms of actually operating the vessel day to day, you really need to be measuring it live because um, uh, every vessel is different, and uh, you can end up making the wrong decisions and, and releasing more CO two than you were trying. Uh, short of the of of measuring CO2 directly, uh, at a a minimum, you need to be measuring your fuel directly, right? So you need to have a a flow meter, uh, ideally a mass flow meter that is um, also tracking what type of fuel is being burned either, you know, indirectly through temperature or through a flow meter per tank, et cetera. So this is something that the vast, vast majority of the fleet doesn't have. It's not that expensive. I mean, you could, I think with maybe 50,000, 60,000 uh, uh, dollars US, you can, you can retrofit so the vessel with everything you need to be able to measure uh, fuel. Um, and, uh, and then uh, that needs to become part of the reporting chain, right? So that needs to be going um, to, the, to the regulators um, rather than the, the new reports. And then also it needs to be more transparent within the industry. So from ship owners to charters, uh, in the SP of ships right? If you're buying a ship, do you not want to see um, the actual performance of the ship that's come from from, from the data that's collected? At the moment, the standard is no. Uh, Insurance, um, you know, uh, in in terms of negotiation of charter the huge disruption that has to take place in terms of uh, accurate data being measured and then becoming part of the conversation in the industry.
0: Another question we have is would the captured carbon be kept in separate tanks above deck? Is that one for you, panels?
4: Yeah, def- definitely, it's going to be kept in separate tanks. Um, of course, it, it depends on the product. Uh, sometimes can be, uh, uh, it, it depends, it can be solid, can be graphite, can be it depends on the technology, what is the, the carbon product. Yeah, it's going to be, but definitely, it's going to be in a separate tank. That is clear.
0: And what about um, issues for disposal of carbon dioxide? We we sort of talked about that a little bit earlier. It's considered waste. It may not present regulations perhaps don't allow for it to be disposed on shore. How is that going to be solved? Is anybody working on that?
4: Yeah, I can I can uh, add on this one. Um, yeah, there the is ongoing work, you know, to to class. Let's say this uh, carbon disposal, carbon offloading. Uh, in, in principle, there is a, the London Protocol that it doesn't allow to, to trade actually to trade uh, carbon from one country to the other country because that may be considered as a waste. But of course, there are some um, uh, bilateral agreements between countries that start accepting, you know, trading the carbon. Because speaking about the carbon is not only the carbon capturing, but is a whole carbon economy. It's mm. a whole economy that is, is emerging. And uh, yeah, there is a capturing, there is a storage, offloading, transportation. Uh, Currently, we're speaking about uh, liquid pseudo carriers, Mm. which is going to be part of the equation. And I would say that, um, Mm -hmm. let's say, about the carbon capturing, um, the transportation is going to be a big part because the carbon capturing we're expecting more and more on the onshore side for this one. Mm. Sequestration is part of the equation. You know, there are many projects. In North Europe, they're working on Northern Lights, a project for carbon sequestration. Um, So it's something ongoing work. Uh, We're expecting to find uh, some solutions and uh, class the carbon at a level that can be moved and offloaded.
0: So tomorrow's very large crude carriers could actually be carbon carriers. That's the, the tanker of the future.
4: Yes, definitely. The, the carbon carriers, uh, we're expecting to be liquid CO2 mm. uh,
1: Yeah,
4: it's going to be yeah, the carriers of the future, definitely. Um, you know, for, for the future, we're expecting to see different type of vessels. Just to open up a bit, the discussion is uh, not only liquid co carriers, but, um, you know, more dedicated ammonia carriers, uh, hydrogen carriers. We're expecting to see that. Um, but uh, the, the carbon uh, is going to be part of the blue economy. Uh, blue economy you know everything when you have a fuel production that uh, in between is getting the carbon capturing and then is getting the the blue color code on this one and uh, that is going to be part of the whole energy transition and uh,
0: yeah that, how how widely adopted do, do does anybody in the panel expect onboard carbon capture um to be within the 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 carbon economy it, we, we talked a little bit about its feasibility but you know in in 5 years time will be the, will this be something that you know nearly every ship ship owner will be considering like they made the decisions that they had to make economic decisions about scrubbers for example uh that's um, uh, uh sulfur dioxide abatement systems for 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 those
2: i think that the trajectory is there we we have seen that the carbon capture as part of uh, a whole strategy and i, I agree with uh, what uh okay, I said earlier that you know the carbon capture would be the last step that the ship owner should take okay after you know applying nice silicon based paintings um, um, nice you know um energy efficiency device like air lubrication kites uh rotors whatever mm-hmm. is available propeller caps and then you will install a carbon capture if you're still, you know, missing some percentage of the of the of the, of the carbon. With that in mind, we've seen many supporters today uh, having real interest on this last step. Therefore, we believe that it will be a solution. It seems to be a viable solution from a commercial perspective. It's up to us now, the technology providers, to make it uh, feasible from technical perspective.
0: Yeah, the- I think inter-
3: that's right.
0: sorry. I'm sorry, go on.
3: No, I was just gonna uh, agree with uh, what Constantino said, and I, I, I think uh, it is uh, the, the degree to which it's ultimately adopted across the fleet will depend also on uh, the future trajectories of zero carbon fuels. You know, carbon capture is relevant so long as you're burning fuels that emit carbon to the extent that owners ultimately shift to other non-carbon fuels uh, that will will reduce the uh, penetration rate of the technology in the long run. But it's Uh, an important piece of the transition for sure.
0: I was going to mention that at last week's International Maritime Organization meeting, they introduced some interim checkpoints for greenhouse reduction emission emission strategies. And one of those included using other technologies in addition to to zero carbon or near zero carbon fuels. So I'm guessing that opens up onboard carbon capture as a a more viable alternative with the inclusion of that language in the revised strategy um, another question I had for you, Haki, was what is the cost per ton of voluntary carbon uh, um, offsets? We mentioned the European Emissions Trading Scheme price of about $100 um, per ton at the moment. Where does the where does the cost of these voluntary carbon offsets sit?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question, and there's no simple answer to that because the voluntary markets are not unified. There there are different perceptions in those markets about the quality, so to speak, of different credits. Uh, We expect that maritime-based, carefully documented emissions reductions, like the ones that we're working on, uh, will provide a net value to the owners around $5 per ton over time. Uh, And that is uh, much less than the cost of carbon in the regulated markets. But it is a meaningful contribution to the return on investment in in retrofit uh, energy efficiency devices and and modifications to the ships. So uh, it doesn't pay for those investments, but it's an incremental revenue stream that can reduce their profit, increase their, uh, their profitability, and reduce the payback time to owners.
0: Well, thank you, Jim. But can you believe it? We've come to the end of the, the session. That 40 minutes has just flown by. We still have some questions to to have answered, but no time. So can I just thank every one of you, um, Panos, Konstantinos, Konstantinos and Halki, for, for making your time available to, today and for sort of shedding some excellent insight into uh, a reasonably unknown section of maritime decarbonisation story. So thank you once again, and for those that attended, and um, see you later.
3: Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, everyone.
0: Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, everyone. Bye.